and welcome to Come Follow Up. I'm Daniel Bracera, and this is Barbara Morgan Gardner. As scholars and religious educators, we're always searching for ways to help individuals and families apply the scriptures more deeply in their lives. Here on Come Follow Up, we look to enrich your daily studies of the Come Follow Me resource as we discuss life-changing principles and study the words of the prophets. We hope that our dialogue today can inspire you so that through the Spirit, you can uncover truths, experience new insights, and deepen your personal conversion. So today we are reading Ether 1 through 5. We read that the Lord confounds the language of the people of the Tower of Babel and the brother of Jared and his family flee. Yeah, the Lord then is going to take them into the promised land. They're going to be prepared for their journey, but before they do so, they're going to pray and ask the Lord to give them both light and air. So as we know from the story, the way that they gain light is preparing 16 stones and asking the Lord to touch those stones. Uh, the brother of Jared sees the Lord and learns about faith. So the topics we're going to discuss today are number one, increasing the flow of revelation and how we can do that in our lives. And secondly, we're going to talk about seeing and knowing the Lord, experiences that we see from Ether chapters one through five, as well as our own experiences and experiences of our uh, Latter-day Prophets. So in order to do that, we would love to introduce a good friend and colleague, Tyler Griffin. Tyler, Tyler you could come join us. Thank you. Thank you. So just so you all know, I've known Tyler for about a year now, and he's an excellent teacher. So if Barbara and I just kind of get silent and stare in awe, you'll know why. Uh, you're about to, no pressure on, on Tyler, but he's an excellent teacher, and he's incredibly intelligent. So ask him any questions you want, as controversial as you want. If you have any strong political opinions, feel free to ask his comments about it. Um, and I will be happy to defer. Yeah. <laughs> right. So thank you, Tyler, for being here with us today. Tyler is an associate professor of religion specifically in ancient scripture at Brigham Young University. He has also written a number of books. A couple of them are When Heaven Feels Distant and Come Unto Me and, and many others as well. So Tyler, going through these scriptures, either one through five, I'm confident that you have some things that have stood out to you in those chapters. Regan, could you just give us a little bit of historical context to these chapters before we actually jump into them? Oh, absolutely. These are incredible chapters where Moroni, he found in the repository that his dad left mm -hmm. him with, among all those records, there were 24 Jaredite plates. And he tells us he's giving us this story off of those 24 Jaredite plates okay. that were found by the people of King Limhi. Yeah, back in the book of Mosiah, right? Mm -hmm. What a great find. I mean, <laughs> could you imagine like, Absolutely. oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And you know, if, it, as fascinating as all the historical context may be, for me, the real power of, of the Book of Mormon and specifically today, the Book of Ether, isn't wrapped up in its history. Now you have to understand the history, but it's really in those spiritual lessons. I see these chapters as some of the, the richest ground for, for Latter-day readers to find their own story in this book that happened so many years ago. The reason why is because you watch God work with this group of people. They're in a very, very wicked environment in, in Babel. And you watch as God helps those people get out of that environment, and then he takes them through many, many experiences through a wilderness wandering till they get to the ocean, and then he helps them cross that ocean to get to the promised land. Now, even though this story happened 4,000 years ago plus, I find my story and I find your story embedded in these chapters as easily as any other chapter set in the Book of Mormon. Why? because you can look at Babel as a symbolic representation of mortality in general, what, what we're experiencing in life, and how God is working with us 
to get to our promised land, which could be symbolic of heaven. And quite frankly, if getting from earth to heaven or from Babel to the promised land is the end goal, if that's the end all be all, then quite frankly, God could have done this way more efficiently. He could have just transported them (laughs) and got them to the promised land, but he didn't. He lets them experience all kinds of adversity and affliction and setback and trial along the way because the purpose that the Book of Mormon teaches us of Heavenly Father's plan isn't just to get us to heaven. It's to help us change. It's to help us grow. It's to help us become something that we aren't right now and that we aren't at this point or at this point. It's a long process and it's fraught with with wonderful experiences and triumphs and trials and tribulations and and sin and temptation and everything else along the way. Excellent. Thank you you for that. Before I get into what kind of jumped out at me, I'm wondering, was there anything in this story that really spoke to you? Did you see yourselves anywhere in the text? What did you learn? So tell me about some of your impressions of these chapters. I just thought it was really neat that in chapter 1, verse 35, it came to pass that the brother of Jared did cry unto the Lord, and the Lord had compassion upon Jared. Therefore, he did not confound the language of Jared, and Jared and his brother were not confounded. I just thought that was really neat that a simple prayer um, solved a big problem that could cause in the future where their family could have been separated and that they were able to stay together um, just because of one little simple thing and that God had compassion upon them. I've always thought about what it would be like to be in one of the barges that didn't have the prophet in it. Like, it's one thing to be in the prophet, one thing to be in the barge with the prophet, right? Like, he's going the right way, he's receiving this revelation, he has all this direction, and everybody's going great, but what if you're in one of the other barges and you're just kind of trying to get across the ocean? And I've often wondered, where are the windows? Are they peeping up here and there? Like, what's going on? And I just think how important it is for us as individuals that we actually can receive revelation for ourselves. We, we know where the prophet's barge is and we know what direction he's going, but we also have the confidence and are able to receive the revelation we need to be in that barge along, along with everyone else. So speaking of revelation, I wonder if we can, we can explore in more detail a question I have, which is how do we increase the flow of revelation we receive from God? Now, Tyler, I love this idea that the, the, the journey of the Jaredites is kind of like a, a symbol for our own journey from this fallen world to heaven. And one of the things I did as I was reading through these chapters is I, is I looked at it, okay, if this is our journey, if we could see ourselves in, in this journey getting back to heaven, what is our role and what is God's role? Right? So I went through, uh, highlighted a few themes that I saw in relation to what God was doing. Uh, so chapter 2, verse 5, it says that the Lord was giving them directions. Verse 6, that they were being directed continually by the hand of the Lord. Verse 19, again, uh, they were building barges as you, as you have directed me. So we see here that the Lord is very much engaged in getting them to where they need to be. Okay, so he is directing us through mortality in a sense. Um, so the question becomes, what can we do to be amenable to this direction? What can we be, do to be open to receiving the revelation that he has for us to give? So I went through and kind of made a list of the things that I saw that we can do to be uh, open to the direction of the Lord. And it looks something like this. So here are a few verses, asking the Lord, calling upon his name, uh, obedience, repentance, etc. I won't, I won't read all of them, but sometimes we may feel that we are doing these things and yet the Lord is still silent. We, we actually have a video question from our home audience that touches on this subject, so let's go to the video. Hi, 
My name is Ashley Corbley. I live in San Antonio, Texas, and I'm a new mom. My question is, how can I discern between the whisperings of the Spirit and my own thoughts and ideas? How can I ensure that what I am doing is the Lord's will? Ashley, thank you for that question. How, how are we able to discern between our answers, our thoughts, and what the Lord is actually teaching us? Yeah, so one of the things I've, I've learned in my life is revelation often comes on the run, which is to say after you've kind of done your homework and done your best to, to reason it out in your own mind and you just kind of go about uh, what, you, what you think is best in your own judgment. And it's at those times that the Lord tends to uh, prompt me in one way or another to make correction or I have a feeling that I'm not doing it right, but it's almost always after I've decided to take a, a course of action um, that the Lord speaks up and says, okay, I see where you want to do, and this is where you want to go. This is where I want you to go. Or um, he gives me a kind of confirmation of, of what I've chosen to do already. I love this. Your question really gets at the core of, of what we've been talking about all along. This journey is how do I know that I'm on the right path, that, that I'm doing what God wants me to do, not just what I want to do. Look at the sequence starting in chapter one. God gives them one piece of information gather your flocks and your families and your herds and everything and go to the valley northward. That's all he gives them. They get a revelation of what to do, but God didn't tell them how to do it. He leaves that to the, to the agency. This is part of who we're becoming, not just going somewhere, but becoming something. We're exercising faith and sometimes there comes that decision point where you could do it different ways or even do different things. And if God's silent, that's the Lord's way of saying, I trust you, make a decision, and then move forward. And so you'll watch this group do this continually as God gives them one step at a time, line upon line, precept upon precept. By the way, how would you like it if you woke up this morning and sitting on your, your nightstand there, there's this book, and you you're, say, I don't recognize this, you open up and the Lord has just given you a revelation for everything that you're going to do from here to the end of this year. And it tells you day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, everything you need to do. Would you like that? No, I don't think very many of us would like that. Agency is this really powerful thing that, that allows us to exercise faith. And if you love the Lord and you're doing the best you can, he's never going to let you get more than one or two steps off, like you were saying, Daniel, the direction that he wants you to go. Your covenant path probably isn't going to be a straight arrow probably going to be this twists and turns and this direction, that direction, and God's going to keep working with us as we grow in our spiritual maturity. In fact, Elder, Elder Holland has a great talk on this where he's talking about leaving from St. George and going to Yale. And he talks about how on the way there, he broke, his car broke down. And, and sometimes I think we think that when the Lord gives us a revelation, it just it should be easy and get us all the way there. But sometimes we're wondering, why is, why is the Lord allowing my car to break down? just because a car broke down doesn't mean all of a sudden he shouldn't be going off to school. It means his car broke down, right? And sometimes we're wondering what, where the Lord is and all of this. And my, my guess is as you're living the gospel correctly and you're making wise and important decisions, he probably is just like he says with the brother of Jared, he's with him continually directing him. And sometimes it's hard to recognize that. But if you continue on that path until the Lord guides you otherwise, you're probably doing what's right. I always think that whenever we have a good thought, it's always sent by God, even if it's our own thought, because God can heavily influence, influence us how we, how we think. The Book of Mormon teaches it comes from the Lord, and I trust that it, will, it is from the Lord if it is a good thing. Excellent. Absolutely. 
We really appreciate your thoughts, and, and especially Ashley, we appreciate that video. We know how important it is. President Nelson, especially lately, has asked members of the church to learn to recognize and be able to receive revelation and recognize God's voice. So we, we would like to go from there and recognizing that the brother of Jared clearly is recognizing the Lord's voice. He knows how to receive revelation. And now he's going to teach us a little bit more from his own personal life about the process of hearing and seeing the Lord. Mm -hmm. The brother of Jared had this really unique experience that he had to see the Savior, right? And I'm wondering, based on your reading, Tyler, what prepared him to do this? What made him able to, to receive this blessing that not many people get to receive? It's a great question because as you watch this story unfold from the beginning leading up to the event where he actually sees the Lord, you'll notice that he's having these, these spiritual experiences with the Lord and any time that it talks about God speaking to him, God's in a cloud. Mm -hmm. He's veiled. Mm -hmm. Brother Jared isn't seeing him. And then he rends that veil in chapter 3 to be able to see him. But this was a process that took a lot of, of trial of faith along the way. Uh, you, you'll notice before they get to the ocean, for instance, to build the barges, where he's going to have this incredible experience with the Lord, God's already had them building barges along the way to get to the ocean. Mm -hmm. Well, we can look at the old world geography and say it would have been very, very simple for God to guide that group on a land-only journey to get out to the ocean, probably on a much quicker route. But God took them on a probably more out of the way, circuitous route so that they would have to build barges, which is very inconvenient because God knew what was coming up at the end. And they needed experience and faith exercise to the point where now when the big test comes, they're going to pass it. And it's collectively as well as individually for the brother of Jared, his, his own faith. He's been talking to the Lord in a cloud, but now everything shifts in chapter 3 as he was faced with this question. Um, and can I just point out that with those barges, did you notice there were really three questions? How are we going to see with light? How are we going to breathe the air? And how are we going to steer? And you'll notice that God gave him three different kinds of answers. He told him exactly what to do to get the air. He asked him what the brother of Jared wanted God to do to fix the light problem. And then he told him not to worry about the steering thing. I will guide the ships. Specific instructions. What do you want me to do about that? And don't worry about that. As the brother of Jared has worked through his spiritual growth and, and trials of faith, he's gotten to a point where God can give him a lot of room to continue to grow and exercise that faith. So now, after going and getting 16 smooth transparent stones made. By the way, when's the last time any of us melted raw rock down and made smooth transparent stones? This is a hard process. The brother of Jared did the best he could, but at the end of the day, the very best work that the brother of Jared could do was 16 smooth transparent stones. No light was coming out of them. He asked the Lord to touch them with his finger which led to this incredible unveiling experience. He's now to that final step of his faith where he says, Lord, touch these with your fingers so that they can glow in the, in the darkness. Isn't that a lot like you and me? Isn't that a lot like everything I ever tried to do? I put my very best effort into it, but at the end of the day, it doesn't shine forth until God sanctifies that effort. 
I actually have a question about one of the verses for Tyler, if that's all right. Sure. <laughs> all right. Um, like you're on the spot, Tyler. I know. <laughs> you're yeah. pressure. I know. <laughs> uh, verse 19 of chapter 3 says, And because of the knowledge of this man, he cannot be kept from beholding within the veil. And he saw the finger of Jesus, which when he saw, he fell with fear, for he knew that it was the finger of the Lord. And he had faith no longer, for he knew nothing doubting. So I was just wondering, what, what does it mean that he can no longer be, you know, kept within the veil? And how is that related to him having faith no longer and nothing doubting? What a great question. Yeah, Taylor. What a great question. <laughs> I think what Moroni is saying to us here regarding this experience with the brother of Jared is he has now come to a knowledge to the degree where he doesn't have to believe what other prophets before him have said about God. That part of his faith, that the, the faith of a belief that there is a God out there becomes swallowed up in an absolute knowledge that God lives, that he is now a personal witness of that. And it's ironic because the brother of Jared Keep in mind, he's living in the period just after the Tower of Babel, so we're talking 4,000 years ago. Well, there are some pretty important prophets who predated him, such as Adam, Enoch, Noah, and yet in this chapter, the Lord says in verse 15, never have I showed myself unto man whom I have created, and never has man believed in me as thou hast. So it's almost like his faith was so big that it's almost like the brother of Jared parted the veil with his faith, said, I know you're in here somewhere, and he has this experience, and so he doesn't have to have that kind of belief faith anymore. He, he knows it's dormant. So one of the things that stood out to me when the Lord is talking to brother Jared, he says this, never have I showed myself unto any man whom I've created, and never has man believed in me as thou hast. Seest thou that thou art created after my image? I wonder, why did he ask this question to Brother Jared? What is the importance of understanding that we are created in the image of God? When I came home from my mission, um, I had so many people that were like, wow, you changed on your mission. You're like, you look older. But, um, but the thing is, is the thing that was told me the most is you look so much like your grandpa. Mm -hmm. And th this just kind of reminded me of that is, I, I think in a way Jesus Christ is saying, can't you see that we're family? Can't you see that we're alike? Can't you see we're the same? Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you for that. Jesus Christ is trying to make sure that they, the, the brother Jared knows his identity. And I think that so much of any of us, and especially in the world today, we're lost because we don't really know who we are. Mm -hmm. And once we realize we're children of heavenly parents and that through covenant we are also children of Christ, we can know who, who we truly are and know what, we, what we're here to do. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I love that idea. And I mean, one of the things I thought of when I read this verse is that no matter how low I get, no matter how bad I think I am, I can't escape my potential for goodness because it's in my spiritual genes. This idea that there's always hope. If we're creating the image of God, then we have that divine potential within us. And just internalizing that can be a really transformative thing, I think. It's an interesting thing in, in, in our day. A lot of people will say, you know, we why don't the prophets testify like they used to, like the brother of Jared? Or why don't they talk, why don't they have experiences like the brother of Jared? You know, President Faust had a great quote where he said, I know as the brother of Jared knows Absolutely. that Jesus is the Christ. And then you have President Packer, he quotes section 76 verses 22 through 24. And now after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony last of all, which we give of him that he lives. This is Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery, right? 
And then they continue, for we saw him even on the right hand of God and we heard the voice bearing record that he is the only begotten of the father, that by him and through him and of him, the worlds are and were created and the inhabitants thereof are begotten sons and daughters of God. So what are we seeing in here? We, we, have, we have the prophet and we have Oliver Cowdery saying that we saw him, we saw Christ even on the right hand of the father, which means if they saw him on the right hand, they're also seeing the father. So why is this so significant? This was back in the 1830s. We jump ahead then to President Packer and President Packer has a following quote that refers to this very verse. He says, notice carefully, after quoting that section, he says, their words are my words. How privileged I have been throughout my life to be able to bear my special witness that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. I testify in all humility, but with absolute certainty that he is the only begotten of the father. If you listen carefully to general conference and you listen carefully to the teachings of the prophets and the apostles of the church today, they are constantly bearing testimony just as were prophets such as the brother of Jared. They are teaching us and perhaps they have knowledge. They testify of Jesus Christ as special witnesses like no other people on the face of the earth. They have, they have been given the authority to do so and they've been given the mandate to do so. That's one of the things that makes them special witnesses of Jesus Christ. In fact, we have another question that is being asked again from our home audience. I think this would be a good time to transition into that. It's right, right along the same uh, topic that we have. Aloha, I'm G, this is Hiram and our son Grayson and we're the Linquists. And our question for Come Follow Me, Ethers chapter one through five is, if the brother of Jared was the only one to physically see Jesus Christ, then how were the everyone else basically able to see and know Jesus Christ for themselves? This is a pretty powerful scripture yeah. that we're going through. We were talking about a person, a prophet actually seeing God. So, so the reality of this question, I think, is one that many of us would have. Okay, so the brother of Jared can, but what about the rest of us, right? Tyler, do you have a thought on that? You know, it's interesting. This is a beautiful question because uh, Moroni is going to take up this question repeatedly down the road. So when, when you come to, for instance, Ether chapter 12, that entire chapter is about trying to shore up our faith to the point where we, at the very end, what does he say? Seek this Jesus. He's trying to help us along our journey of life to be able to break through those clouds of any kind of unbelief or lack of faith that we have to trust in God to the point where we've sought this Jesus, where we can have these same kinds of experiences, whether in this life or the next, isn't always the most important thing. It's that we're on that, that trajectory. You think of the first vision of Joseph Smith and his, his description of it, where he's basically saying, this is what I did. This is the process I went through to see the father and the son. And he's trying seemingly to help us have a vision ourselves, whether it's our own sacred grove in our bedroom or whether it's a sacred grove in, in New York, it doesn't really matter, but he is trying to teach us as a prophet. And you see that pattern all the way through. In fact, there's a great scripture in Doctrine and Covenant section 46 that talks about the different gifts that individuals have. And this scripture says the following, to some it is given by the Holy Ghost to know that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he was crucified for the sins of the world. That, that's a gift that people have that they know, but there's another gift. To others it is given to believe on their words that they also might have eternal life if they continue faithful. So we have these wonderful groups of people and, and to that question, 
not all of us have to be the brother of Jared. Not all of us have to see, we all have different gifts. For those of us who have gifts of this nature, those of us who have the, the gifts that are going to be able to testify and know that Jesus is the Christ, they need to use that gift for the benefit of others. For those of us who have the gift of being able to believe in the words of others, we continue on believing those words and acting in faith so that we may also have that strong testimony. We have had a great discussion today and thank you, Tyler, for your thoughts and comments and thank you for everyone. We appreciate the great questions, the thoughtful comments. Uh, today was a wonderful experience to be able to see and, and hear and know not only you, but to come to know the Lord better as we've studied his words. Yeah, absolutely. And to those at home, thank you for your comments and questions. Uh, please feel free to send us your comments and questions via social media if you can't join us here in the, in the studio and please join us next week when we'll come follow up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.